Now, we are in the midst of a series called The Tabernacle. The tabernacle was designed by God as a meeting place where we could enter his presence. It was a tinted curtain structure out in the desert. And as you went into the outer court, you would see the brazen altar. There would be before you offering a sacrifice to God and you would sacrifice to him. Then you would move forward from there and come to the laver where you would look and examine yourself and wash and make sure you're cleansed. And then once you had done that, the curtains would open for you to enter the presence of God in a pretty amazing way. And you would walk into what's called the holy place, which is outside the holy of holies. And on your right is this, the table of showbread or the bread of his presence. And on the left is the lampstand we'll get to next week, showing God's the light of the world. And then in the center was an altar of incense that lifted up prayers before the veil that separated us from the holy of holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. And each step of those, each article of that helps us understand how we get become more and more intimate with God. He wants to be very, very intimate with you. He wants the relationship to be very real. And, and by the way, I'm going to use another word I haven't used a lot, but it's accurate, affectionate. God wants to be affectionate with you. He wants you to have affection for him. And when you understand the tabernacle and how God teaches us how we enter into his presence, it takes our relationship with him to a whole new level. Let's pray. Lord, I pray right now, and I ask that your Holy Spirit Oh God, I pray your spirit would enlighten our minds, open our hearts to your love to be poured inside of us, to your presence to be real and create joy, a joy that's full. And, and Lord, that we would be open to the direction you want to give us for our life, to the things you want to share with us, to the things, Lord, that we now can share with you is that the prayers ascend and, and they go to you and, and it's close, it's real. And I pray right now, God, you'd help us to understand how we are to relate to you, how you call us in, in Jesus' name, amen. Let me go ahead and back up again. As you're walking in, you would come to a brazen altar, and on the altar, five offerings were offered to the Lord. One for dedication, and you would say, God, everything in my life is yours, no holding back. Another, uh, uh, the next uh, two were for thanksgiving, for all that God had given in your life and for the relationships you have. And then there would be two offerings, one for trespass and one for guilt. And, and it was so that something would be substituted to allow you at that moment to say, my sins are released. Now in the New Testament, God would fulfill what was done on a brazen altar on the cross. It would go up a level. It would go up in intimacy, up in costliness, up in sacrifice as Jesus Christ hung on the cross now to say, come dedicate yourself to God and be received into a relationship with him and be forgiven, be cleansed completely. Then from this brazen altar, place of sacrifice, you would move to the laver. And at the laver, you would wash and you would cleanse yourself. And in the laver, you would wash your hands and your feet. And you would look for anything that was on you that would not allow you to be in, involved with God. But here in the New Testament, we go to baptism where you're completely submerged and buried with Christ in a way enveloped in his love and presence and, and care. When you do that, and by the way, you should know you're doing it, uh, then you see yourself as set apart to God and sanctified. The word sanctified means special. And, and by the way, that, that increases the intimacy of it. Uh, when I first met Pam and we were dating, we had a really good relationship. And then we went to a whole new level where I asked her to be my girlfriend and we agreed not to date anybody else. And, and then we became 
promised, and then we became engaged, and, and that brought it to a new level of intimacy, and then we got married. And we got married, I became set apart to her, and she became set apart to me. The intimacy in our life grew. And when you say to God, I'm ready now, no holding back to be completely yours, the intimacy grows, and then the curtains part, and God invites you to come into the holy place, which is just outside of the holy of holies, where you are literally in the presence of God. Now, in the holy place, you're in the presence of God, too. As a matter of fact, this table is called the table of showbread. And, and on it were sat six loaves in two different piles, so 12 loaves total. And God said each one is to represent the tribe of Israel. Now everybody's invited here. Everybody is to partake in this promise, which we're going to get to the promises of in a moment. Everybody's invited into my presence in a way that's incredible and amazing. And, and by the way, I want to have you think, is that what, where you're at? Have you entered a place with God where now the first step is to stop at the table of presence and say, God, I am so aware of your presence in my life. Look what it says in Leviticus chapter 24, verse 5. It says this. You must bake 12 loaves of bread from choice flour using three quarts of flour for each loaf. Verse 6. Place the bread in the Lord's presence. Now, now kind of mark that in your mind. Place the bread in the Lord's presence on the pure gold table and arrange the loaves in two rows with six in each row. Sprinkle some pure frankincense near each row. It will serve as a token offering to be burned in place of the bread as an offering given to the Lord by fire. Every Sabbath day, this bread must be laid out before the Lord on behalf of the Israelites as a continual part of the covenant. The loaves of bread belong to Aaron and his male descendants who must eat them in a sacred place for they represent the most holy portion of the offerings to the Lord by fire. Now, what are we talking about here? It says that you, uh, when you came in and you, the curtains parted and you stepped in, you would smell hot loaves. There's almost no better smell than the smell of bread baked, you know, fresh baked bread. Would you agree with that? You just smell it emanating. By the way, do you catch God? That's the, he wants it to be a home that you enter. He wants you to be literally embracing this moment going, oh, that smells so good. And, and here's what's interesting. Every Sabbath, they would put hot bread here stacked together. Well, well you know what's I, I, intriguing to me is uh, different people over the years, different rabbis said, that what would happen is this bread would be put there one Sabbath, the next Sabbath that was to be taken off and eaten by the priest. And, and the priest said that they, the bread was still warm a week later. And it was still soft a week later. And are you ready for this? The taste had changed. It was more flavorful. In other words, it wasn't like, oh, we got to eat week old bread. It was like something happened in that week that took ordinary bread and made it even more incredible. Was it the frankincense? Is, is it the, the smoke that goes up, the incense that's offered? And most people say it's literally a miracle by God that when they came to that moment and they got to eat this, it was the best thing they'd ever eaten. And God says, I want you to grab hold of what happens when you come to my table. And, and, and here on this table would be something else. Very often there would be wine. And, and the wine was to be used as a drink offering. Are you ready for this, all of us who know the Lord? Isn't it interesting? God says, when you come into my presence and you interact with me, you do it with bread and with wine. What do we do? We just did it. We interact with God with the bread and the wine of communion. 
And God says, I, I want you to commune with me. That's what the word communion means. That you and I commune with God. We are in an intimacy with God. And this table is to show us that. In the New Testament now, we come to communion to realize God's presence in a pretty amazing way. In Exodus 25, 30, and in Numbers 4, 7, what we're told is that this is actually called the bread of his face. Actually, Numbers 4, 7 calls this the bread of his face. And Exodus 25, 30 says that this right here is the, is the table of his presence. We're entering the very presence of God when we come here. We've gone from the sacrifice to the labor of being set apart. And then we come in and smell that bread. And we walk into an intimate moment with God. And God said, I want you to know where you're at. I am inviting you into my presence. Now, I don't know about you, but when I am going out to eat with someone who's incredibly important, who uh, is someone I look up to, by the way, I don't know if you do this, but very often I get nervous about it. Have you ever tried to eat with somebody that, that all of a sudden, man, it's nervous, you know? It, it may happen that it was a, a, a girl or a guy you like. I know tons of girls who tell me, man, I got home from my date and I was starving, and I... I'd say, well, didn't he take you out to dinner? But yeah, but I'm not going to eat in front of him, you know. Uh, when I was in high school, before I met Pam, there was this gorgeous girl at Corona High, and I asked her out on a date. And she said yes, and we went to Marie Callender's, and I didn't know if she liked me or not. And, and we're talking, and I'm trying to get her to laugh, and, and you know, kind of getting to know each other. And she ordered the salad bar, so I did too. So we got up and went to it. And we came back and sat down. And we're talking and laughing. And I take a cherry tomato and put it in my mouth. And I take a bite and it shoots all over her. She was wearing a white shirt. And she's looking down and I'm like, ah. You know, and the good news is she laughed, you know. And it still turned out pretty cool. The funniest dinner story I've ever heard is a true one. Some friends of mine uh, uh, the guy works for a, an international company, and he got a huge promotion here in Southern California. But right after his promotion, they, they ended up having a shakeup at the top and installed a brand new CEO and set of uh, vice presidents. And so one of the things the CEO promised all the shareholders is he was going to do cost cutting to make the company more efficient. And he started literally on a national tour where he went to different sections of the country with the plan to eliminate positions. So my friend, even though he had just been promoted, was incredibly nervous. I mean, he could be cut like that. And he's thinking, man, I can't believe it. Well, then he got word that his particular meeting would be held in downtown LA and the, the, all the, the, the people at his executive level would meet with this man at a hotel. And then afterwards, they wanted all their spouses there and they would go to dinner together. And he, he oh my gosh, he got so like, he thought this is the worst and the reason is, is his wife is one of the most incredible people ever, but um, let me just kind of say this. She's loud. She's a loud woman. She laughs loud. She talks loud. She puts her foot in her mouth constantly. And if she were here, she'd tell you that. She does. And, 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 you know, all of us who know her, we think it's funny. He thought, what if the CEO doesn't think it's funny? I mean, I could lose my job. If she embarrasses, and he told her, he said, honey, Honey, I got to tell you something, man. Our, our lives are on the line. Our livelihood's on the line. You've got to be at your best. And she said, well, am I not always at my best? And he said, no. No, you're not. And he goes, I am not kidding. You've got to watch it. And, and she's like now nervous. Well, they get there and she goes into an area, a reception where there's like 
different hors d'oeuvres and things for the spouses, husbands and wives. And he's in his meeting and man, that meeting got intense, man. And, and then they, they come out of there a little, you know, shell shocked from it. And they walk in and everybody greets. And this guy starts walking around wanting to meet the spouses, which is by the way, how he would help make decisions. And he gets up to her and he walks up and grabs her hand and shakes it. And she, she's so nervous. She just starts laughing and loud. And he's looking and he starts laughing. And he said, well, tell me about yourself. And she said, well, I'm a mom. And he goes, oh, I've got grandkids. And she said the smart line. You ready? This is wisdom. Do you have any pictures? And he was like, yes, I do. And now he's not talking to anybody else. He's just talking to her, whips out the pictures, and they're having a really good time. And, and then he, he says the line that makes my friend want to drop dead. He looks right at her and says, hey, at dinner, I want you to sit next to me. And my friend thought, oh, no, I'm dead. Two and a half hours, I'm not going to be able to step in. Two and a half hours, she's going to sit next. And he's thinking, oh, great. So they go in and they sit down and she's talking and, and the CEO's laughing and she's laughing and, and she's actually doing pretty good. And then the food gets served. And my friend, you know, he's an on-fire Christian. He's thought, you know, I'm not going to hide that. So his food's in front of him and everyone's kind of talking away and he bows his head to pray and it goes silent. And he thought, uh-oh. Did, did I like do something wrong? I mean, are people mad I'm praying? And if the guys, you know, I thought if I lose my, my job over that, at least God will, you know, protect me. And, and then he opens his eyes and looks and he can't believe it. Everyone is staring at his wife. His wife was just talking away at the CEO, but she didn't even think about what she was doing. She picked up her knife and fork and started cutting a steak for him. She's cutting up his meat because she's a mom and moms do that. And, and the CEO's just watching her. She's like, ah, and she screams and drops it. And he starts laughing. And he said, people, no one's cut up my meat for me since I was like five years old. Man, I love you. And my, my friend's like, ah, oh, and got a raise, you know. And uh, she was just so nervous. She didn't know what she was doing. God said, I want you to come into my presence. I want you to come into my presence. Now, when we come into God's presence, we always come in respectful, but that doesn't take away the fun. That doesn't take away the joy. As a matter of fact, it goes the other way. It adds to it. Uh, one of my all-time favorite verses of Scripture is Psalm 1611. Uh, I don't know if you got this one underlined, but if you underline your, in your Bible, you should underline this one. You should underline it, highlight it, and put exclamation points around it. Psalm 1611 God says to you and I, he says, David's talking about God, but this promise goes to you and I. And David says, you will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now, now I, I could go all night on this one, but just don't miss some of it. He said, you know what, God, when I'm in a relationship with you, you're going to make known to me the path of life. God has a path for you to go on. God has a unique plan for you, wherever you are, it, right now, man or woman, guy or girl, wherever you're sitting, God loves you and cares about you and he has a plan for your life. And I hope you're living it. I hope you can say, man, I'm doing what God has created me to do. I'm being who God created me to be. I'm living his plan for me. And I'm investing in things that matter. And he's guiding me in that. Notice God said, I'm not gonna hide from you the path of life. I'm gonna make it known to you. When you go into God's presence, he said, you know what I want to do? Let me tell you about who you were meant to be. Let me tell you about the life you're meant to live, the, the things you're to do, the people you're to touch. God says, come, come and let's sit at dinner and I want to talk to you about all the things that I have in store for you. 
blessings I want to pour out upon you. God, God starts telling you those things when you spend time with him. And, and by the way, notice it's the path of life, not death. It's the path of life. He wants to show you the, the, the good life, the amazing life. It doesn't mean easy. There's times it's not going to be easy, but you know what? It's going to be great. Then it says this, in your presence, remember this is the table of presence and the bread of presence. In your presence is fullness of joy. When you are in the presence of God, you have joy that cannot be taken away. Now that's not happiness. Happiness comes and goes. Joy can give birth to happiness, but the joy that God gives me and the joy that God gives you when we enter into his presence is one that cannot be taken away. And the Bible teaches the joy of the Lord is our strength. We get a strength from that. And then we get something else that it says here. It says it's fullness of joy. He doesn't just give me some joy or you some joy. It's an overflowing joy. Now, now I, let's just get real honest. Are you ready? So if I do not have joy, what does that tell you? Well, I'm not in the presence of the Lord. Because you cannot be in the presence of the Lord and not have fullness of joy. That's impossible. And, and so something has created a, a break in the connection that God wants for us to have. By the way, God wants to have this with you. He wants you in his presence. And so we need to open up to that and have it. And then it says that your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God wants to just keep pouring pleasure on you and pleasure on you and pleasure on you. And you ought to be going, wow, God. I mean, now again, there are times life's not easy, but guess what? It's gonna be a time of joy all the time and pleasures are gonna come. Now that, that's the attitude you and I need to have. That's the attitude that we get when we come here. Some people don't have that attitude. Some people always believe the opposite. And, and by the way, even some Christians do. They kind of feel like, you know what, things are pretty good right now, but one day it's going to get bad. You know, things are okay now, but trouble's coming. You know, that's how they are. You go up to them and say, man, the weather's awesome. They say, yeah, but the storm's coming. You know what, seems like you're in good health. Yeah, but I'll get sick one day. You're like, what? It's the opposite. See, all of a sudden it shifts over and, and, and no matter what you're going through, but God, God is going to bestow pleasure upon me. God is going to give me the desires of my heart. God's going to, and, and you start realizing that when you come to the bread of presence, to the table of his presence. And the presence of God becomes amazing to you. That's what God wants to have happen. Now, to be in that state, to experience God that way, you not only need to be in the presence of God, you need to know the person. And how, what is the person turned to John chapter 6? It's Jesus. It's interacting with Jesus. It's letting Jesus take you in and you taking Jesus in. It, it's, it's a two, it, it's both of the things. Both truths are there. And in John chapter 6, Jesus is talking to people. He's just fed the 5,000 and he's thought, you're missing it. You guys are thinking about physical bread and you're not understanding what really matters. And, and I want you to make sure that you tonight walk out of here knowing what matters. And in John chapter 6, verse 26, Jesus said this. Jesus answered and said to them, truly, truly, I say to you. Now notice he just stamp, double stamps it. This could not be more true. Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for food which perishes, but for food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him the Father God has set his seal. Now, don't miss where we begin with this. Jesus said, I just don't want you to get off course. Don't invest your life 
in that which just perishes and passes away. Don't throw your energy into that in the end, which isn't going to matter. Make sure you're living for a better and a higher calling. Make sure you're acting upon that path of life that God has for you. Make sure you're investing in that. Uh, I, uh, because of my position now, don't do this almost ever. But, um, you know, before when I was a pastor, uh, I would do a lot of funerals. By the way, I think it's an honor when, as a pastor, you're invited by a family to come and share, it, share with them in that point in their lives and what's occurred. And so I, I would go, and in the vast majority of cases, it was awesome. I mean, it really was. And sometimes it wasn't. In the minority of cases, I would go sit with the family, and I would say, hey, tell me about them. You know, they've just passed away. Tell, tell me what they did in life that matters. Tell me what they stood for. Tell me what, what has happened because they were alive and if they didn't exist, it wouldn't be there. And there were those cases where people sat there and they couldn't come up with anything. Nothing that was real. Nothing at a point when you're trying to celebrate their life, you go, wow, I mean, they stood for something. They invested in something. They did and I had those times I'd walk away from there and I felt so sad and so empty like, God, I can't believe it. People who love them most can't think of one true, honest, good, eternal thing to say about them. But that was the minority. The good news is the majority was the other way. As a matter of fact, most of the funerals I've done, I knew the people. So I came in with, man, here's what they did and here's how they loved and here's the difference they made and here's how they touched me. And then they would start sharing and, and you'd start realizing there are people who have actually lived their lives in ways that matter. Earl Berry was one of those men. Earl passed away at an elderly age. But I want to tell you what, I knew Earl, and when it came to the time we were going to share about him, I already knew all these things I was going to say about Earl. But I'll never forget getting with the family, and, and I, I said, okay, what do you want me to say? And Michelle raised her hand. Michelle actually goes, I, I, want, to, I want to make sure you get this in. Michelle had married Earl's son, Patrick. Earl was her father-in-law. But what had happened is Patrick and Michelle had fallen in love and gotten engaged before she ever met the family. So her first time to meet the family would be showing up saying, hi, I'm going to be the new bride. And she was nervous about it, even though he said, you'll love my family. And she was bringing her little daughter, Samantha, with her. And, and Michelle had had a horrible life before. And, and Samantha was one of those few good things that she was bringing out of that past. A lot of pain, a lot of hurt. And, and so she came in pretty nervous. And when she got there and she walks in, she literally just walks right up to Earl. And she said, hi, I'm Michelle. And I'm really glad to meet you. And, and this is my daughter, Samantha. And Earl said, no. It kind of shocked her. He said, no. He said, that's not your daughter, Samantha. And he looked down at her and goes, you're my granddaughter. You're my granddaughter, Samantha. And he swept her up in his arms and he said to her, you can call me whatever you want. I can be papa. I can be granddad. I can be grandfather. I mean, you make it up and it's my name to you. But I want you to know who you are to me. You're my granddaughter, and I'm always going to know you like that. I'm always, and she's beaming. She had never had a grandfather. And she said, that's the kind of man he was. And everybody else said, yes, he is. He invested in what mattered. This man lived his life and made a difference. And I want you to know that, man, if you live like that and you love like that, you're going to have a life that has meaning to it. But it starts with loving God with everything you have and letting him love you and then opening up to him. Look what it goes on to say in verse 28. 
Therefore, Jesus said, because you need to invest in what matters. Therefore, they said to him, what shall we do so that we may do these works of God? In other words, how can we live this out? And notice the answer. Jesus said in verse 29, Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him, meaning Jesus, whom he has sent. So they said to him, what then do you do for a sign so that we may believe in you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them manna out of heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you bread out of heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives light to the world. And they said to him, Lord, give us this bread. And Jesus said to them, I, now, and by the way, you should underline this one. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. And he who believes in me will never thirst. But I say to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will not cast out. Look back at verse 35. I am the bread of life, Jesus said. I am this bread of the presence of God that you need to take into your heart and life. I need to be there with you. You've got to take me in and I'll take you into the presence of God, he says. And then he said this. He who believes in me will not hunger. You will not hunger. And if you trust in me and believe in me, you will never thirst. Now, thinking again on that, that means that if I am hungering for more or I'm thirsting for more, then I can't know him. At least in the moment, I can't be in his presence. But if I'm in the presence of the one who's the bread of life, then I'm never gonna hunger and I'm never gonna thirst. And we need to grab a hold of that. Pam and I are at a point in our lives right now that, that some of you may be, and for those of you who are not, man, praise God for you and, and enjoy it. But the reason that we're there is because of our age and because of our metabolism and, and needing to be in the best condition we're in, Pam and I have to be on a low-carb diet. Do you know what a low-carb diet is? That means a diet without hardly anything that tastes good in it. Now, I know some of you are going, oh, no, no, those vegetables are good. You can cook them that way. And I want to tell you, yeah, we can make them okay, but no matter what you do with vegetables, they're never as good as bread. Jesus did not tell us to pray, Lord, give us this day our daily broccoli. <laughs> did he? You know, he didn't do that. He said, give us this day our daily bread, right? I mean, bread is awesome. The other night, last Monday night, I took Pam out on a date. And we went to this really romantic restaurant. We got a very romantic table and we were sitting there. And all of a sudden, I got to be honest, this woman came walking up to me. I think she was glowing. She was a heavenly being. You know why? Because she was carrying a basket of fresh baked bread and she set it down. Now, if you're on a date, I don't know about you, man. It's no more. It's like eat whatever you want if it's a date. And so she set it before me and there were four kinds of bread in it. One was white bread, hot, so hot steam was rising from it. And the other was a flat bread and then a, and like, I don't know, an olive bread. And, and I'm just looking, going, oh man, and, and butter over here and I'm just eating away. Man, I was loving every second. Do you catch what God is saying to us through Jesus? I'm the bread of life. I make your life flavorful. I make it filling. I make it incredible. I take it to a whole new level. I think it's intriguing that, that what they say about this particular bread is that after it sat in the presence of God for seven days, it was transformed. It was still hot, still fresh, and more flavorful than ever. 
You know what God does? This is what I mean this. I don't want, this isn't just words. God takes something as ordinary as bread and in his presence is transformed into something incredible. He takes ordinary lives and we put ourselves in his presence. He transforms them. He transforms them into something extraordinary. The ordinary becomes extraordinary. The natural becomes supernatural when you and I put ourselves into his presence and he changes it completely. That's what it means to have the bread of life. That's what it means to interact with Jesus and to be in the presence of God. The other thing it means is this. I don't know about you, but, but I'm going to tell you for me, I, when I eat a bunch of vegetables, an hour later, I'm hungry. But when I eat bread, man, oh, I feel good. And you know what the Lord is saying? Is it satisfies you. You will never hunger and you never thirst. Your life is satisfying and amazing and incredible. Now, I, I want to say something here. I don't know if it was for somebody in the 9 o'clock service or the 11 o'clock service for tonight. But when I got up this morning and I was praying and seeking the Lord, the Lord just, just brought me to a passage of Scripture. And I sat there and I really believed God said, Chuck, you got to share this. And so I, I get, I, they had some people in the morning who felt it was for them, but I want to tell you what it is. It's one you ought to memorize. Proverbs 23, verse 18. Proverbs 23, verse 18. It says this, surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. Now, I want to have you think about that. If you're saying, you know what? I, I'm in a tough place right now. Financially, I'm on the ropes. Some of you might say it's not on the ropes. I've lost it all. I don't know how I'm going to make it. Well, let me tell you, Proverbs 23, verse 18. Surely there's a future and your hope will not be cut off. You might say, but I, I, I've, I've messed up. Man, I've blown it. I've wrecked everything. And you know what the Bible tells us? A thousand times you may fail, but guess what? God's mercy remains. So surely there's a future and your hope will not be cut off. You might say, but I, I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. Surely there's a future and your hope will not be cut off. You might say, I'm sick. Man, my body's not reacting and acting correctly. Surely there's a future and your hope will not be cut off. I want you to grab that because that promise is true. And when you come to the bread of life, you come to the bread of his presence, Proverbs 23, verse 18. Surely, not just maybe, surely there's a future and your hope will not be cut off. I, right now I'm in a pretty good place in my life, but I've been there. I've been where I thought, God, I just don't even know how to get back up. And you know what the Bible says? I'll help you, I'll lift you and make you arise. Uh, you might say, God, I don't have enough strength. And God says, I'm gonna be your strength. You might say, God, I don't know where to go. And you know what he said? I'll show you the path of life. And when you jump in my presence, joy is going to give you strength. And I'm going to lift you up and give you pleasure beyond belief. That's what I want to tell you. And tonight, if it's for you, I don't know if it was who it's for. But I believe God told me, Chuck, you've got to share this. Surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. Hang on to that and don't let go of it because God has it for you. And we need to understand, when we go into his presence, that's what happens to us. It all takes on meaning. And now here's the thing you need to understand. When you come to this place of the presence of God and the pleasure of God and the path of God, God says, I'm also your provider. The idea that there would always be bread here and never taken away, God will be our provider. He gives us his provision in our life. He's the one who blesses us. That's why in Matthew 6, 11, it says, give us this day our daily bread. Jesus said, pray that. Talk about it. Do you care? God, the almighty God, the omniscient God, the omnipresent God cares about the fact that you have some bread. God cares where you take a step. God cares when you shed a tear. 
God, Jesus tells us God loves you so much, he knows how many hairs are on your head. And for some of you, he knows about the hair on your head. He does. And so later on in Matthew 6, in verses 31 to 33, it says, Do not worry, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? It says, for the Gentiles, those who do not know God, that's what that means, for those who do not know God, eagerly seek all these things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. So what do you and I do? Seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and God will take care of it all. He's our provider. He's our provider. Psalm 37, 4 and 5 says this, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do it. He does not want to only just give you some bread. He wants to transform it into something amazing and incredible. He wants you to understand he has pleasures for you forevermore. He wants joy to be fulfilled. And, and then you know what else it says? It says, but I want you to know something. I even want to give you your heart's desires. Now, does that mean, again, life's easy? No, it, there's times it's not. Does it mean there won't be tears to shed? Well, no, there's going to be. But God's going to catch everyone. Does it mean that we're always going to be crying and always? No, in the end, we always have the victory and that's where we're always headed. Victory after victory, provision after provision, hope that is fulfilled. That's who God is. And Jesus, he says it to a church. Um, you know, it's interesting. I'm just standing here right now. I didn't think about this this morning, but I know he said it to me before. Even after I came to know him, I know the Lord actually said this to me. He said, Chuck, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if you would open up, Chuck, let me back in. Then I would come in. And then it's interesting, in Revelation 3.20, it says, I will dine with you. The word dine there, and I, I keep repeating this. I, I want to lock it in. You never, ever, I hope, would forget it. The word dine does not mean have breakfast. The breakfast back then was quick, and then you went on with your day. It's not, hey, let's grab a lunch. Lunch back then was quick and you went on in your day. The word dine is, let's share our evening meal. Back at a time when there wasn't a TV set calling you away from the table or, or computers to overtake you or phones to ring. It was the kind of meal you would sit down with someone and you'd spend two, three hours. You know what the Lord said? Chuck, there's a point in your life. Even though you said yes to me, you, you've kind of closed me out. I'm knocking. And if you'd open up, I'd come be with you. I think is, there might be some of you God saying that to you tonight. Maybe for the first time, the very first time, he said, would you open up? I'm knocking. See, it's interesting. At the tabernacle, we had to come. We had to go through the gates. We had to go through the altar, the laver, and then open and go in. God says, guess what? Rather than telling you to come to me, I'm ready to come to you. And I'm going to knock. Into a church in the book of Revelation, he said, a whole church, you've just all cut me out, but I'm not going to throw you aside. I want to I ask you, will you let me back in and let my presence be there and let the ordinary now become extraordinary? Would you let that happen? And I don't think it's changed a whole lot. I think that today there's many of you who right now are in an amazing relationship with God, but there might be some others who are here and God says, I'm knocking, would you open up? Jesus says, would you let me come in? Would you let me be with you? Would you let my presence be real? And I, how do you do that? Well, the answer is this. When someone knocks at your door, you can either go open or you can say, come in. 
And tonight, I'm going to ask you that if you're not close to God, if you're not experiencing the presence of God, if you're hungering and thirsting for more, rather than being filled with fullness of joy and experiencing the pleasure of God, the literally pleasure, and you go, this got to be from God. I'm going to tell you, what do you do? Well, you pray. And I'm going to lead a prayer right now. I do this every single week. We never let a time go by. We don't do this. I'm going to ask you right now, if you're not close to God in a very intimate way, very intimate and very real, I'm going to ask you, would you pray this prayer with me right where you're sitting? Tonight, I, I, we, we sat in the back room before we came out here and we prayed. We, we asked God, Lord, if there's someone out there hurting, would your spirit touch them? And we're praying you'd open up tonight to his healing. Uh, we prayed and we asked tonight when we were back there, Lord, if there's someone who just doesn't know you, God, would you just send your spirit upon them and touch them? And I, I think you're going to feel something moving you and ask you to open up to God. Tonight, if you're a Christian and you're not as close to God as you should be, maybe you've done something wrong, maybe you've messed up, maybe you've made a, a, a horrible decision or you've hurt people or, or you've just got so off course, maybe you got fed up with God and you just said, forget it. And, and now you're looking and saying, why did I do that? Well, let me tell you, God knows why you did it and he still loves you and cares about you and he wants you back. So we're sitting in a back room and we may not know you by name, but we're saying, God, tonight you're going to know every person sitting out there and the ones that need to say yes, I pray you touch them. So we're going to go to this time of prayer now, hoping and praying that you're going to experience God. His call for those of you who need to come. And I'm going to ask you in a moment, if that's you, if you need to open up to him, I'm going to ask you right where you're sitting to whisper a prayer. We'll just pray it together. Let's pray. You're my... And uh, for many in this room, you're our Abba Father, our dad. So dad, we come to you now asking you to take this time and this moment and bring these truths that we've heard to the innermost beings of who we are. I need them, we all need them. And I pray right now that we wouldn't miss it. We wouldn't miss your love. We wouldn't miss the path you have for us to be on. We wouldn't miss being in your presence but we'd, we'd enjoy it. We'd cherish it. We'd relish in it. God, I pray that you would just draw us close to you more than ever. You've said if we draw near to you, you'll draw near to us, so we ask you to draw near now. And oh, my Father, I pray for anybody here tonight who needs you, whether to come to you for the very first time to come back to you, or who's been wounded and hurt, or maybe just life is slap them to the, to the ground. I pray right now they would just look up to you. So I'm asking for your spirit to help them and I'm asking for your spirit to touch them and that they would say yes. Even if it's just one person, God, they matter that much. I'm going to ask that we keep praying and right now I'm going to lead that prayer you are ready to say yes to God or, or you sense maybe there's something happening it's stirring inside you right now you know it I'm going to ask you to pray this with me I really mean whisper it like get the words out let's talk to him together so right now if you want to say yes to him or come back to him or if you need healing let's just whisper these words say this say Lord Jesus I know you love me and I know you died on a cross 
so that my sins could be completely forgiven. So that my hurt could be healed. So I could be free. So I could be yours. So I could know you. So I'm opening up. Here I am. Take me. Make me yours completely. Show me the path of life. Fill me with your love. Fill me with your joy. And fill me with your spirit. And Lord, I want to be yours. So this I pray. In your holy name, Jesus. Amen. And if you prayed that prayer tonight, praise God.